Hello, welcome to... I still want to say shoot the piano player. Dark Habits. A... Oh, no, not French New Wave. I'm going to restart. <laughs> let's, let's start uh, this whole thing over. Uh, Dark Habits. A... I don't say French New Wave. Start from the beginning. Head. Start from the beginning. I'm keeping all of a it doesn't No, 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 no. Uh, Dark Habits and El Motivar podcast. Uh, I, I, I know I'm saying it wrong. I am not saying it the correct Spanish way. Joel, you probably know the correct Spanish way to say El Motivar. I, I know that since there's an accent over the A, that's the emphasis. So it's El Motivar, technically. But it's, I mean, you're going to get El Motivar. It's fine. Like, who cares? Okay, yeah. They're coming uh, for yeah. us. No. Yeah, so this is, uh, originally I didn't want to do this one as early, but we have free weekend, and uh, I finished up all my homework and shit for the week, so I was like, well, perfect, I can just finally get to this one, and, uh, so this is the titular Dark Habits, my favorite Emotivar film, and, uh, it's the, I'd say arguably the most Catholic one, and we have, I guess, our Catholic specialist slash <laughs> friend most, of the show. The most Catholic podcaster. <laughs> yeah. The most. That's, that's a Hi. great title. Hi, I'm John Arminio. Catholic extraordinaire. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got all the guilt complexes you can ask for. Oh, good. You're basically Daredevil, but probably <laughs> a little shorter. Uh, I. That's uh, <laughs> a, a good bet. <laughs> Oh, well, is it is there a canon of their double sight or is it just vaguely he's a tall guy who's strong uh yeah uh, yeah vaguely out you know somewhere between peter parker and captain america i have to check my uh marvel trading cards they have the height on there yeah okay yeah anyway yeah so dark habits it's the nun one um so Joel, before I told you we're covering this one. Ha- and, uh, yeah. Had you heard of this, uh, movie? Uh, I mean, only Besides. because you've s- said things like the last five or six years, probably, but otherwise, no. Oh. Okay. That's not a surprise. Um, did you, did you have any. Well, first off, what did you expect uh, what this movie was gonna, going to be? I know you've seen a couple. Motivars already. Right. Yeah, I wasn't expecting anything crazy or anything like that. Like, I, I feel like I don't know what the stuff before this is going to be like. I, you, I mean, you you basically warned me that some stuff gets intense or or whatever. It's, but like, it's John Waters comedy. The first mm-hmm. two. Oh, okay. Uh, this one, you know, was milder than I was expecting it to be. Especially the description is like, oh, these these nuns are on dope and they're criminals and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, that's a very exciting way to describe the movie. It's just kind of a, yeah, a, a, a funny comedy because of certain circumstances and some drama built in there, just like uh, regular old Almodovar stuff. So yeah. I liked it. You know, that's, we'll get to that. All right. and, End of the uh, podcast. Okay, and uh, Armenio, um, had you heard this movie before uh, you picked it for the season? Uh, I had heard of it, but I had not seen it, but um, certainly this podcast gave me the opportunity to finally 
watch it as well as a couple other Almodovar films that I've been meaning to see. And, and I'm very glad I did because I've liked all of them that I've seen. Okay. Well, what other ones did you watch? Um, I think the only one that I'd seen before this was actually uh, The Skin I Live In, um, which is a little different. <laughs> um, and a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but since then, I've seen um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, um, Tommy Up, Tommy Down, and uh, Pain and Glory. And, you know, for me, it's just fascinating to see somebody who can do something like The Skin I Live In or Time Me Up, Time Me Down, and then also have um, Pain and Glory, something so filled with like self-reflection and compassion, both for himself and for other people, just have all that stuff in, inside him and in his artistic wheelhouse and have it, you know, feel like it's still in a Motivar movie. I just think he has a remarkable depth and breadth to his career, and so I can't wait to explore more fully. Okay. Um, I'd say avoid Kika, but because that's, like, to me, the worst one, okay. which is to say it's pretty good. Like, there's a difference, I always say, between a bad, like, Kurosawa and a bad Spike Lee. Like, they, <laughs> they are wildly different. Yeah, um... Yeah, that is interesting. Like sometimes great artists, they don't have real deep lows, but sometimes people who have achieved great things like can really fucking bottom out. And, and <laughs> yeah. I just so it's just interesting to see like who who goes in what direction. I guess Kurosawa is just too damn professional to, to let himself be really bad. Yeah, on, on this show, like Joel, I think you can agree. When we went from arguably a person with the least bad movies in there. And their whole career to the person with some of like the those baffling like <laughs> uh, you know where Spike can go sometimes. Yep. It's soon. I don't know if it has to do with modern filmmaking and the ability of, of people just to like make a you know come up with an idea for a film and and. To you know, shoot it real quick, and it's like you see creativity in those bad Spike Lee movies, and obviously, Spike Lee movie is a Spike Lee movie. You can you can tell for the most part, uh, but yeah, just the <laughs> it's like, did you need a editor? Or did you need somebody else to look over that script? I, I don't know. Kurosawa, I'm sure he had people looking over his script, depending on who he was working for, what he was making, stuff like yeah. that. But. I'll, I'll always say with Spike Lee, he need a while ago. He needed someone to ask him, "Are you sure about this idea?" Mm. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't think he. It's not like he just kept making bad movies after that. He just has a couple of stinkers, like every other movie or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, recently that is. Yes, I think that's why a lot of times a director's best friend is a producer who has their best interests at heart. So not somebody who's looking out for the studio, but somebody who's checking on the, on the director to be like, all right, are you going in the right direction and do you have what you need to get there? And, you know, just, you know, like if you're falling asleep with the wheels, sometimes you just need somebody to snap you awake sometimes. Yeah. And also a good editor, for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, for me, like, Amovar kind of has that with his brother, who uh, Augustin. August, it, um, 
I can Augustin, I think how you would say it, uh, who is the producer on most of his movies and has a, a always a bit part. He's the postman at towards the end of Dark mm. Habits. The the one that's like fuck. All right. <laughs> yeah, See you later. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you can tell you recognize him in later ones because he's uh he's bald and he has like a line and he's always a focus like. Why is this bald guy to focus? Like, oh, th- that's his brother. Hmm. <laughs> All right. So, wow. um, I'm looking at what? a side by side picture of them from some movie where his brother played a priest, mm-hmm. and they look like I mean, they could be doppelgangers, except one's bald, like you said, and the other one has hair. Yeah, one has big poofy hair, and uh, one uh, is not has poofy hair. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Augustine did not produce uh, Parallel Mothers. Mm. I think that's... Maybe he's... But anyway, yeah, that doesn't matter. So, um... Uh, well, John, since you picked Dark Habits, uh, well, actually, I want to get to this first. Can you remember how you first heard of Pedro Amodovar? Um, I just think... Just gradually getting into more movies and just hearing his name bandied about. I think the first time I became aware of him as a director was for The Skin I Live In and just like reviews and conversation about how different it was from from the movies he's done in the past and and the the conversations around the controversial subject matter in that movie. Um, but it just, it just took me a while to ramp up to seeing more of his films because he does have a rather intimidating uh filmography that that goes back quite a ways yeah and this that's not an insult to Amorvar's films but there's a sameness to his movies where mm-hmm. it's like for me it's comforting but i feel like someone who is not into it would be like all of them are just melodramas with with some jokes it's like yeah that's why they're great <laughs> yeah and i, I mean like, you oh. can definitely like see some thematic through lines even from just the the movies that that I, I've seen, you know, like um, uh, like attacks on sexual convention, sometimes to pretty cringy levels. Um, certainly, an obsession with mothers um, and and Catholicism, uh, and you know, I think, but but he does it beautifully, uh, both in his writing and in in his visual language, and so you know, like. It's it's his artistic voice, you know. Let the guy do his thing. Yeah, and I haven't brought this up yet on on the season, but if anyone has a copy of his first film, I think it's a feature or a long short film um, that translates to uh, "fuck fuck fuck me, Tim." <laughs> I really want to see it. It's see as far as as far as I know, it's just not available anywhere. But I just want to—I just want to see that first uh, thing he made. I certainly don't uh, have it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I can't. You guys, uh, draw. What's the Spanish word for fuck? It's because it's, it's a Spanish title because it's never had like a real release. Uh, you're. Uh, despite being Mexican, this is. You think I would know all the curse words, but I do not. Hold on a second. Let me look. 
go up here, press that button. What's it do? Takes me to movies. That's good. Go all the way down to the bottom. No, Ryder, get the hell out of here. Maybe <laughs> you're weird. Try again. Okay. All the way to the bottom. Foyer, 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 me. Yeah, I've honestly yeah. never heard that word before. Maybe it's Spanish slang. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, okay. So, John, since you picked this, what what is Dark Habits about? Uh, Dark Habits is about a lounge singer slash prostitute drug addict whose boyfriend kills himself and she finds herself on the run from I guess gangsters he's indebted to and takes shelter in a convent of nuns of the Holy Redeemer I believe is the, the name of their convent who all have sort of transgressive and humiliating names and um, the Mother Superior is a a heroin addict. Um, one of the other nuns uses acid to um, elicit saintly visions. There's a tiger running around. And it's all about um, these the relationships that they have with each other and their own sort of um, negative self-image that they all have to overcome and the fact that the the convent is in dire need of financial boosting and the nuns are always sort of maneuvering ways to not have the, the convent you know be foreclosed or moved or completely sold off this and they're all sort of trying to hide their shenanigans from the mother general who's like the next step up in the nun hierarchy Yeah, it it feels like this is an '80s comedy, but it it kind of has like that '80s comedy of we gotta save the the this the the gym. It's like yeah, we got that type of energy. Yeah, but it, it is the plot never really goes there. Like the sort of climax is this party that the other nuns give for the mother superior. Um. And the Mother Superior promises to start <laughs> smuggling drugs to Thailand. Um, <laughs> like, like she goes to her drug dealer for a loan for this party, which is, like, always a great idea. But, you know, we never see the, the drug smuggling or what happens in Thailand, certainly. And it's sort of implied that the nuns are all going to go off in, in their own separate ways. And so in an American movie, there would certainly be you know, scheming and plotting and the execution of getting all the money. But in this one, it's just like, uh, no, the climax is the relationship between these characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, J-Dog, did you like this movie? Yeah, I liked it. Um, you know, it's got this, like, whole scattered way. It's, it's telling all these very little stories about the nuns, and you don't really get backgrounds you get just that that's kind of interesting that way like everyone's insinuating that they did something wrong and that's why they're all here but they're they're all still sinners in their own way and 
tossing in the singer, the the singer, tossing in it the lounge singer. Seems just enough to have spiced it up just for that breakage. You know, not, not to mention that they're basically going to be losing the convict because they no longer have their rich donor. Yeah, and it's uh, you know to me it's interesting how much they like are seeking out sinners. Like they yeah. they <laughs> want them in in the convent. So when the um, Yolanda arrives, the nuns are all talking to each other, and you know one says, "Very soon this place will be full of murderesses, drug addicts, prostitutes, just like before." Praise be to God. Um, <laughs> and you know I th- I think maybe what um, like non-religious people find maybe tame about this movie is like the the drug addiction stuff isn't really transgressive like there's no it, like the, the the drug use isn't like train spotting or anything it's not like meant to be horrific mm. what's just as or even more sort of transgressive for an 80s comedy is that there is a, this through line of like actual theological debate about the sacrifice and uh, um, pridefulness of like self mortification and humiliation, like is it actually prideful to humiliate yourself by calling yourself sister manure and to constantly like degrade yourself and degrade your own body, or is that how you personally worship? So I think for a movie that's so like on its surface silly, for it to actually sort of pose these like deep theological quandaries in the midst of you know. Um, see-through lounge singing acts um, I, I find you know pretty unique yeah uh, where all this? Uh, so uh, Joel uh, like when I was doing research like one thing that came up was this uh, this didn't do well outside of like Spain and Europe yep uh they specified North America and UK because this movie is very Catholic and it's full of like the Catholic references and symbols and it's about like you know, it's about nuns and it's about like Catholic uh, history to an extent. And uh, did you find any of the like the Catholic stuff uh, like like hard to follow or, or something? I mean, no. It's not like they go hardcore into like what. <laughs> what uh, being Catholic or be, even being a nun is, is about. Like the the most confusing thing might be you know the difference between Mother Superior and uh, whatever the oh, you know the one that's above her was called. Yeah, nobody's reading from Saint Augustine or anything like that in this yeah. movie. <laughs> the only reading out loud is from Sister Rat's salacious romance novels. Mm-hmm. Which aren't even that salacious. That she has this monologue about kissing. <laughs> yeah, to her it feels like that. That it's such a funny way of thinking about it. Like she's writing salacious stuff in her opinion, and she thinks, oh, you know, it's kind of. She thinks it's kind of trashy. One one part be- because she that's what she's intending to write, and the other part is because her sister is actively lying to her. Which is that reveal was like, hmm. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, but yeah, like it's the outside world considers sister rat to be 
uh, they don't know it's Sister Red, but to be this like genius writer, like she's got a, they got like a quote from Gail Garcia Bernal. No, no, that's the actor. <laughs> Gail Garcia Bernal. Uh, what's the name of the guy? Jeez. Uh, the guy wrote Magical Realism? Yes. Um, uh, I know you're talking though. I just can't remember his name. Thousand Nights of Solitude. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Oh, uh, yeah, Marquez. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See. Um, anyways, uh, like, <laughs> it's a it's a big deal. There's just, like, sister's, like, super rich because she's pretending to be the person writing those. And so back to the Catholic thing. I, I guess uh, if you're like, well, why are they putting dresses on all these figures and stuff like that? Like, I didn't, it didn't occur to me now until, like, or it didn't occur to me until, like, just now that the Catholics have, like, those parades where they're holding images or idols, basically. Not not to get too religious here. Walking down the street of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Mary, uh, Virgin Mary and such. And on the side, they're just making these kind of gorgeous fashion like literal fashion <laughs> one of the, the nun that's working on it actually says um metallics are going to be in next yeah. year because <laughs> obviously there is this you know millennia long tradition of convents and monasteries you know brewing their own beer or making their own cheese or or what have you but here it's um like high fashion and gardening <laughs> And and displays of self mortification. Like one of the one of the nuns volunteers to raise money by like crucifying herself uh, <laughs> in a parade or, or something. Um, and you, you we do see her pierce her own cheek with a skewer. Uh, Aye. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I done. I wasn't paying attention when that happened. <laughs> and that is done on the very parades that you were mentioning, Joel. Ah, I see. They're out yeah. there selling. I w- is that the same person that saw the? That was kind of like hypnotized by the guy that was blowing fire stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this idea, this outside passion that exists there too, but it's also like performance. Like, why is everybody paying attention to him as opposed to us? We have cake. Why isn't yeah. anyone over here getting <laughs> this cake? Yeah, the cake's good. But. Uh, Yes, yeah, so, so there is a through line of performance in the movie, you like the the nuns doing performative humiliations on themselves, calling themselves you know Sister Rat, Sister Manure, and then Yolanda's performance of of these these songs, uh, and so there, those those acts are are definitely parallel, and I, I think it it might be at the root of why Mother Superiors is so drawn to and fascinated by Yolanda. And uh, okay, where am I going with this? My eyes lost. Okay, um, like even though this is like a very tame movie for a movie, it still has like that undercurrent of 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 sexuality because there's because I I think the only male characters who are given names are the priest who you see I think a couple times and. And uh, uh, the boyfriend who dies, and besides that, it's just, it's just this group of nuns, 
and, and, and the mailman. Oh yeah, and mailman, but he's never given a name. And the fire blower. Okay, sorry. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. But like it's like we talked about with the Johnny Guitar episode. It's a, it's just uh, like all of the emotion and feeling is literally just between the women. Where this is like it's multiple women when Johnny Guitar. It's just all the story emotion is Joan Crawford and Mercedes McCambridge. Yeah, and there certainly is sexual tension between Yolanda and Mother Superior. I mean, they, they, they're fully clothed, but they wake up in bed together. <laughs> so you don't know what happened, but uh, there's, there is a desire, at, at least on the Mother Superior's part, for some sort of deep connection with Yolanda. Well, that wasn't Yolanda, though. That was the woman that came in, right? Um, was, or uh, Mercedes? Um, Mercedes. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Mercedes no. and... Um, no, they look they look kind of similar. I, mean, I can understand that. It's oh yeah, and um, sister uh, Snake, who is the uh, the fashion one. Mm. Yeah, that there's. I mean, if anything, Mercedes coming in. Obviously, they're indicating that there was a past relationship. You know, some sort of "Don't you like me anymore?" or whatever <laughs> stuff. And it's like Mother Superior has a type, obviously. So. Kind of see yeah. why she's so fascinated by Yolanda. I mean, Yolanda's a, a, a beautiful woman and stuff like that. But like, like they say, she's not that great a singer, or at least she wasn't previously. Um, and just kind of like one nightclub singer every once in a while, making money that way. Yet, it could be idolized by Mother Superior. Just. On top of the way she looks, the way she seems free, perhaps. And uh, about her superior, she, uh, I'm trying to look the actress name because she's uh, Julieta Serrano. Uh, yeah, I think she's in a couple of Motivar. Like uh, basically all of the, all the leads. Like this is the first movie where it's like these are the Motivar people that will show up for the next. Uh, 30, 40 years. Mm. Well, uh, Christina, Christina Sanchez Bascua uh, yeah, plays Yolanda. Who, yeah, she'd only been in things previously, which is interesting. Yeah, this is the yeah, last she, time. Yeah, she stopped appearing in movies. Uh, well, she appeared in one movie after 1983. And uh, that's it. Mm. But um, uh, Julieta uh, Serrano, she... In the habit, when you don't like see like uh, her full like face, her full like head and body, she looks like um, Donald Pleasance a little bit. <laughs> but that's I, it. I, I think I she's insane thing. <laughs> I think she's amazing in this movie um, because there's so much, you know, like in all a lot of our movies, are you know, there's so much color. There's a lot of you know, outlandish characterization going on with, with all these, with all, all the nuns, with Yolanda, you know, some wild costume changes. But she's so restrained in her her acting. Um, but you can see, like, all of this roiling emotion beneath her. Like, you can see the reasons why she's addicted to heroin. Um, like, she she takes it to keep all that shit like clamp down 
uh, and I just think she's remarkable in this movie. And uh, I think it's uh, strange that uh, Joel, remember we talked about another Spanish movie from 1983 that dealt with heroin? Yeah, I was definitely feeling some of that stuff. Like the scene where Yolanda decides to go clean, we get a couple of, uh, you know, her being sweaty and, and things like that. But I mean, I don't know how difficult it is when, I mean, she didn't seem like she was super addicted. We didn't see her like begging for drugs or anything like that. It was just kind of when it was offered, she took it and stuff. Uh, That is a through line with Omotovar because that's part of the plot of Pain and Glory where Antonio Banderas starts taking heroin for pain-killing purposes and then sort of decides to stop (laughs) at at the end, you know, knowing it's going to be very difficult, but it's, you know, he doesn't have to sell his entire you know, fortune to buy heroin or prostitute himself or, you know, have adrenaline shoved straight into his heart to to restart it after an overdose. It's something it's a difficulty that is overcome. Not we don't. It's the it's the one thing not melodramatic in a a one of our movie. (laughs) And after uh, your boyfriend dies because strychnine was mixed in with the heroin, I feel like I would probably lay off of drugs for quite some time. You know, that's me. But I I think you can then (laughs) justify it to yourself. It's like, well, it's not the heroin that's dangerous; it's the strychnine. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Excuse me. I'd like some heroin. Uh, Hold the strychnine, please. Yeah, uh, but uh, but uh, other movie I'm referring to is El Pico. It's on Shutter, and it's it's a, good. It's really good. It's a, basically an after-school special <laughs> about heroin, but it's actually really upsetting. And uh, it's like rated R after-school special. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I think yeah. the most upsetting and salacious aspect of this movie is the tiger. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. not because like I'm not naive. I know how animals are wild animals are treated in, in captivity typically, but just the fact that like this tiger's in this cage, and you see it like reaching through the bars and pawing at this actress, and she's like ah like like this is a creature that could just murder a human in a half yeah. a second and it's just like kind of annoyed that it can't reach what it wants you know inches away from this actress and it's just like ah we're <laughs> this is too dangerous <laughs> for this shot yeah yeah it's I, oh Joel you, you, you talk oh, I was just gonna say I don't even know if I'd be comfortable in a, in a manhunter situation you know that the animal's Winston. knocked out yeah. yeah, and they're just like I dragging like, it on a chain uh, <laughs> later in the movie. Like, oh, that that's gonna yep. be effective, like on a leash. Yeah, like the tiger stuff, I think is kooky, but at the same time, it's like that tiger does want to be there. Yeah. The only animals that want to hang out with people are like cats and dogs, because cats will get free food, and we kind of fucked up dogs' evolution by uh, breeding the qualities we want. Yeah, there's which is fifty thousand years worth of symbiosis. <laughs> With, with us and dogs. I mean, that tiger is a cat. You saw, you saw when at the end when he just like mm-hmm. flopped over. That was really cute. <laughs> yeah, he was like, but, "Give me uh, a belly rub, real quick." 
Yeah, but like that that stuff is just like if it's it's almost like the like eighties Hong Kong where it's like someone could die. <laughs> this is genuinely harrowing a little bit. <laughs> but um have either of you actually been in presence of a tiger? Uh yeah. Not that close, no. Um I'm I've seen them at zoos, but that's it. Oh. I haven't I, been that close, but I have been very close. Uh, I I went to a zoo once in Virginia. It's like a zoo for uh, people who bought like uh, there was like a uh, a cobra there and some other like super venomous venomous snakes and crocodiles because people in in that area were like I can have a wild animal and they realized they can't take care of one so they kind of gave it to the zoo that it's not great but it, it's something it's better than like what Florida has with like the pythons and the in the, in the swamps but uh there's a tiger at this zoo and uh i didn't know the tiger was awake and i walked by it and then it growled at me right when i walked by and it was like inches away from me in the cage and there's just something deeply upsetting and terrifying like about hearing like a big cat growl at you when you're when you're that close to it and you're not expecting it it's this like yeah, like I felt instincts kicking out, kicking out. Like I have to run. This will kill yeah. me. That's literally the say the fear of the saber toothed tiger that like triggers anxiety now. When it's like I hear a loud sound and it's dark. It's it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there was a, a a kookaburra at the zoo too. That was extremely loud. They are much louder in person than you would expect them to be. <laughs> Yeah, that's why we don't invite any kookaburras on the uh, <laughs> podcast. Yeah. When I was a kid, um, I, I I lived in California, and you know, uh, the College of Berkeley had I, I forget if it was like a biology department or a zoology department, but every once in a while they would just like open their doors, and kids could come in, and like the the staff would just like, hey, you want this like African tarantula to crawl on your arm? And I was like, yes. This is awesome. And and so to have like scientists just want to play with these creepy crawlies little kid, it was pretty cool. Uh n- nothing poisonous, obviously. Okay. This time. Yeah. Uh I have a very similar story. That's funny because uh right before I moved out here, I I'm in Utah right now. I lived in California in Southern California. And one of the community colleges I live nearby was Moore Park, and they have like a, a famous animal husbandry or or what have you, uh, exotic animal uh, education thing. So, and they have a active zoo for the. It's it's very small, but um, on like the weekends, you people can just buy tickets to go in there, and students will be. Uh, walking around for people to have questions and and so there was a tiger in a series of cages like it was made so that the tiger could walk back and forth from the actual pit area where he spent most of his time but he could like hang out and look around and I've never been closer to a tiger it was it was still like six six to seven feet away from me i'd say but i just started crying because <laughs> it was it was so beautiful being next to this animal wow. yeah 
So. I remember. I like cats. I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, go to Letterboxd, <laughs> find JDT movies. I've got a huge list of cat movies that have cats in them. Yeah, I remember the the, the tiger at that zoo burped, and it was probably the nastiest burp I've ever smelled in my whole life. Just yeah, just wait until we meet in June. Old meat. Okay. On the breath. <laughs> yeah. Get some floss so. in there. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, where do I go with this? Uh, where are my notes? Okay, so, uh, part of, because, like, there isn't that much written about this, about Dark Habits in general, because it's, it, it seems to be one that people forget about the most. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, like, one of the things I found is that the, the lead actress, um, Christina uh, Sanchez Pascal, uh, Almodovar didn't think she had a good enough performance, so he had like pad out the other characters, and that's kind of how structurally it turned out the way it did. And he and he always talks this movie down, and so because for so for so long he talked this movie down, it just became one of those things where it's like, well, if the director doesn't like it, what's there's no reason in you know like in making sure it's easily available type of mentality. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if that that was like the policy here in America, we wouldn't have David Lynch's Dune, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the... <laughs> I like that movie. Yeah, me too. I, I, I know, I, me too. I love it. Yeah, I wish... I wish David Lynch could... Un- I, I understand completely why he doesn't want to even think about it, c- considering how it was taken away from him, but I wish he could appreciate what he did accomplish under that pressure and, and how many people really love it. Um, but um, back to dark habits. Um, yeah, you you can tell there's a lot of um, kind of awkward dubbing um, of Yolanda's character, especially when she's singing. And so it, it's hearing that he wasn't satisfied with her performance. It it really does make sense. It sounds like he was trying to fix it a lot in the edit, and also makes sense why he wouldn't um, hire her again if he wasn't satisfied. Yeah. I also wonder, maybe she's left the industry also, because she did one other movie in 83, yeah. that's some horror movie with Rip Torn, and I think it was, that's what I was thinking of. I have to look it up again. Uh, called Scarab. Yeah, Rip Torn, uh, Robert Ginty. Uh, yeah, so like, that should tell you what type of movie it is, if Robert Ginty is is the star of it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, 1980s Rip Torn... That could have been an ordeal. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so maybe also she just felt like, uh, maybe I don't want to act anymore. Yeah, totally possible. Yeah, so, um, I'm going with this. Yeah, so like, so like, because of Amarvar kind of wasn't happy with the lead performance, uh, that kind of like forced the structure of like okay, well, if I have like a bunch of wacky characters and uh, but not but because his other movies are full of wacky characters, but they are just like kind of dirty, gross John Waters comedies minus um, the extra gross stuff in John Waters comedies of that time. It's uh, it's a step up, which isn't saying a whole lot, but the step up like in production wise from like. Uh, Pink flamingos. Yeah, yeah, there's certainly more of a 
a craft to the cinematography and production design in his movies than in John Waters' movies. Yeah, not to say that John Waters is a bad director. Yeah, it's, yeah, sure. Yeah, his his interest is more uh, witty banter mm-hmm. and jokes more so than like trying to be David Lean. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so like, and this, and this is definitely the test run movie of what the pro like what like the prototypical of a Marvel movie would turn into which i i look at this i look at like, dark habits like like that and my favorite um kurosawa is drunken angel mm. which if you look at drunken angel that's like the, the the first experimental like prototype of what is a kurosawa movie going to be because that's like after the propaganda movies that's his first like movie movie yeah. And, like, you look at it compared to Seven Samurai, it's like, well, Seven Samurai is objectively better in every single way. But, uh, kind of like with Dark Habits, like, I know, like, the later stuff is objectively better. But just, I, I kind of like the rough around the edges. And you see, like, this is the first time, like, that, like he figured out, okay, this is my shit. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, it, it is fascinating to watch an artist, like, develop their own style. You know, because I've I've recently, you know, discovered the wonders of, like, that post-war Kurosawa period where he's, like, a- asking, mm-hmm. like, is is there hope for Japan post-war? Like, like Drunken Angel or One Wonderful Sunday or um, No Regrets for Our Youth. Um, and, yeah, like you said, it's they're not as technically accomplished as Seven Samurai, but it's, you know, fascinating to watch those movies and... You know, you don't. You certainly don't have like an Antonio Banderas performance to anchor the emotional weight of Dark Habits, but it's still fun to watch, and you know, fun to watch the discovery of of an artist who, who's gonna fill us with great movies for the next forty years. Yeah, and uh, actually, Banderas was in the one before this, but he had maybe ten minutes in the whole movie. He's barely in it. He's playing a, a gay Arab exchange student who I think is the prince. No, is he? I think he's like the prince of an Arab kingdom or something. Or he's like the friend of the prince. It, it's a screwball comedy where the plot just kind of devolves into random madness mm-hmm. by the end. Uh, where am I going with this? Okay, so, uh, uh, Joel, what, uh, so what worked for you in Dark Habits that we haven't brought up already? That you haven't brought up already? Here, the, the problem is that it's movie, I don't know how much depth it has. I could definitely see a whole bunch of commentary. That's why I'm kind of interested on the commentary catholic wise if if we think something is actually going to be said about it like it's like yeah these are unusual nuns um i don't know apparently it's just hard to sell in like north america and uk because like they're not super catholic so the the thinking was like like the thinking was like oh protestants won't won't understand nuns was basically like (laughs) what they thought I, I feel like that's a silly, silly thing if that's actually true. I, uh, my guess, like, based on the way the country is now, I would almost think the reason they wouldn't want to release it is because, oh, those Christians, 
don't have something to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, ten years later, we'd have Sister Act, um, which is a yeah. enormous success. Um, exactly. That's that's where I get all my nun yeah. knowledge from. <laughs> uh, way, way less heroin use. Um, Surprisingly, and it, it certainly had the addition of a a big famous American movie star to help it. But you know, I, Harvey Keitel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't see any reason why this movie wouldn't play in the art house circuit if if Pink Flamingos can become a hit in America. I, I, you know, on that scale of movie, I don't see why Dark Habits couldn't. Um, but obvi- but if the director doesn't feel like supporting his own work, then that's not going to help the marketing at all. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the, the uh, Spanish title is Between the Darkness. And I, I went to Catholic school for a long time, but the Between the Darkness... John, you probably maybe you know know this, but that's a like a Catholic tradition where you turn out all the candles between Good Friday and oh, Easter. Oh yes, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so the title is a reference to that, which I like, like. I guess like maybe that's the stuff they're referring to, like that, like a deep cut thing, or it's like, uh, like people won't get what the title "Between the Darkness" even refers to. Mm-hmm. But I think, I don't know, I, I like Dark Habits as a title. It's pretty quippy and clever. Maybe Omolivar doesn't like it. I don't know. Maybe. But, uh, Joel, you also mentioned in the first episode we recorded that, like, Between the Darkness could be literally just a nun's habit because it's it's black on the outside and then they have the white um, shirt part. Blouse yep. part. And the person contained in between those two things. Yeah, you know? exactly. So you were holding out on some Catholic information there, Spencer. All right, yeah, I, f- I forgot to mention it. Well, no, well John, had you? Were did you know about the Between the Darkness uh, tradition? Um, yes, but I I haven't thought of it in in years. Um, I, I don't think I've ever oh, okay. actually practiced it, except like when I was in in uh, catechism classes in seventh grade or what have you. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, cause, like, I don't remember. Like, honestly, I don't remember much from religion class. Besides, I've never really brought this up. I asked a teacher. Uh, this is what the the last Catholic school I went to before public school. I asked a teacher because uh, for t- or for time wise, the Da Vinci Code, the book, just came out, and people were freaking out over it. And I didn't really know what the what the big deal was. So I asked my religion teacher. So, uh, what what's the issue? And she told me the issue. And I asked, not trying to be an asshole. Just I asked, well, what would that mean for our beliefs? And she flipped out on me and told me to stop, stop questioning her. And it's like, okay, <laughs> I guess I won't. I guess I, I won't ask you questions anymore. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, God forbid you ask a question in a classroom. <laughs> yeah, that's a real. Adult with authority doesn't know the answer and doesn't, you know, want to seem like there's something she doesn't know. But hey, yeah, in, like, in this movie, Mother Superior, she has a wall of fame of of sinners. Uh, they're mostly like movie stars and musicians. They're, you know, there's like Marilyn Monroe, Marlena Dietrich, um, and she says it is an imp- it is imperfect creatures that God finds his greatness 
in imperfect creatures. Uh, Jesus didn't die on the cross to save saints, but to save sinners. And then she snorts some heroin. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, like that's the whole point of the, the mission of these nuns is, is to save sinners. That was because they're trying to mirror the mission of Jesus to be here for the people who need the most and like pe- people who never sin need guidance less. And I, I like that the the insinuation, like you, you know, in the past, like it, they they taken like troubled women, sex workers, stuff yeah. like that. Like what, like it became like a shelter for some, and like for some of them became nuns. And it doesn't feel like they were pushy about like you must convert. It seems like they just were concerned about well, if you're a woman, you need a place to stay because you're. Um, you're on a run from the police or you're being abused or whatever you know you can just come here and it's safe and i i like I like the, at least that's that's what i got from like i just like the insinuation of like they actually care about helping people and giving you a sense of safety yeah, yeah there definitely is more of a tradition with nuns of doing the work of like out- outreach into poor communities and stuff like that um not that monks don't do that, but I think there's a much richer tradition with monks and with nuns of, um, like, the, the traditional, like, vow of silence sort of monastery where, where it's a place of, um, like, meditation and, and, and prayer. Whereas nuns are out there, like, giving food to poor people. And, like, teaching, uh, yeah. teaching yeah. school and stuff. Cause my, my partner, she went to uh, all girls Catholic school and uh, uh, high school, I should say. She went uh, Earthland, which is this high school that Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza went to, and she went to school with Aubrey Plaza's little youngest sister. Not to, uh, she has two little sisters. I think it's the youngest sister she went to school with, briefly. Um, but uh, some of the teachers there were still nuns, and like when I went to Catholic school, one of the ones I went to, the some of the teachers were were still priests. Not a whole lot, mm-hmm. but some still were. Yeah, I did not go to the Catholic school, but my dad did. And yeah, when he was going to school, there were certainly <laughs> priests, for sure. I remember uh, there's one, Father Muckluck, who could have been... He could have gone to the tryouts for, I think, the 1960 or 64 uh, Summer Olympics for crew, rowboat. It's called yeah. crew. And he got a calling from God instead. Which, to yeah. me, at, at 15, I was like, why didn't you go to the Olympics, Olympics yeah. instead? You could, that could, God could have waited. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, there's a real small window of time when you, can, um, when you can be in the Olympics. But, yeah, God will be there when you get back. Yeah. But, uh, uh, Joel, any thoughts about the um, religious... The thing I brought up with, like, the nuns helping people unconditionally or anything. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on Christian philosophy and the well, way to interpret certain ideas, especially recently. <laughs> but uh, I don't I don't know. I, the 
that part that we already talked about where they, they celebrate soon it'll be the murderers and the hookers and stuff like that. That was like the most honest Catholic thing, like excitement to possibly be saving these souls. And, you know, of course, there's other reasons to be excited, especially for this group of nuns, but it's not usually, I don't know, but it's, it's not the, those are not the people that this quote unquote country Christian run country right now try to save yep, right yep. it's because there's a difference and I think this applies to most religions uh, I mean most uh, Christianity related religions which is that saving someone does not necessarily mean saving someone if they believe in Jesus you can probably let them go for the most part uh, but it seems like these pe the, these nuns, you know, they want them to be there. They want them possibly to to stay among them until they learn what they need to learn. And, and you know, I don't know how well it's going to go. And based on these nuns, it's probably not going to work out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're very particular. Yeah, and they're. But I, I like the incentive. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the the current pope, um, he he does come from the school of liberation theology in Latin America, which emerged mm -hmm. in the 60s, which was a, a philosophy of Catholicism where it, it the, the job of the church, the first duty is to the poor and the disenfranchised and the persecuted. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so they should issue material wealth in order to make sure there's the least amount of hungry as, mm -hmm. as possible. Um, and so there certainly are uh, voices within the church, very prominent ones certainly now, uh, that hold that belief, but also, uh, and and c clearly in this country, uh, there are people who don't give a shit if you're hungry and poor, which is frustrating, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, they'd rather uh, uh, they'd rather like ban drag shows. Yeah instead of help poor people Just, or you know how <laughs> yeah which you know everyone keeps saying but like a drag queen isn't going to like abuse your child it's probably going to be a, a, a police officer or like the youth pastor they simply changed the definition of what it means to be persecuted a lot of people yeah. calling themselves being persecuted were in a very high state of power simply for pointing out their hypocrisies and asking for them to do the job that they got hired to do. Anyways, this movie yeah. was pretty good. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, and I, I did... Maybe just because I've been trained by a lot of American movies, but I, I kept expecting the the priest to um, mm -hmm. show some sort of hypocrisy or some degenerate uh, characteristics. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know... Well, well, first, there's this great scene where Yolanda and Mother Superior are, like, they're sitting across the room from each other, but we're looking in from outside the building, and, and they're, like, in... Wind we see them through the windows, like, two separate windows looking at each other, and there's, you know, the wall between them. And they're having a conversation about, like, suffering for our sins and, and that um, God helps those who love and those who suffer... 
and like my only sin is to love too much. And then at the end, when I believe it's Sister Snake is in confession with the priest, mm-hmm. she confesses her love of the priest to him, and he says, well, I love you too, and it's not a sin to love, and so we should follow that love and be together. And it's like a real, genuinely touching moment. Like, there's nothing seedy or nefarious about it. And, like, it's it was no. a, a welcome, you know, bit of, you know, genuine affection in this in, in this movie. Because, I, because, like, whenever you see Sister Snake doing, like, uh, sewing or work on clothes, like, the priest is always yeah. there. And I love that payoff of, like, oh, the, oh they, they love each other, but, you know, they... It's complicated, and uh, like again, that that's one of the things where it's like a, a, a couple movies later, this would be more developed. But this is like the first run of like, how do I like, uh, like, ha, like do this formula? And again, I I like this this, this rough and tumble approach to like expanding, going from like a. A, a sleazy John, John Waters comedy into like how do I make like quote unquote a proper movie which not not saying it's a good or bad thing just saying like you know it's go, it's jumping from a, a, a cult queer comedy into like no this is like a, a, a movie movie not just like a movie for me and my friends yeah. and and I think that's his that's his yeah. thing <laughs> and I think the even if maybe he had to reshape the movie because of one actress's performance. The fact that um, there are so many characters with their own little stories, it gives him the opportunity to, to experiment more with different themes and different approaches he would, you know, take on later as opposed to just one straight narrative. Yeah. And one thing that I thought about after reading some, like, the, there's like five essays I came, I came across about it. And like that's kind of it, in a couple of random reviews. But uh, one essay is brought up the between the darkness tradition, and then it brought up the the way the tables are arranged during the dinner scene, which is like the Last mm-hmm. Supper. And so I kind of come to think like, is because because it, it ends with the convent getting closed down and people go their separate ways. So like it, it, that is a form of death, of, of a death. And they have like a Last Supper kind of thing, and it's called Between the Darkness in Spanish. So it's like, is this like a like there, there's something there with with, with symbols and and like symbolizing something? I just don't know what it is exactly, but there's something there. Yeah, I think you know one of the sisters lays on the bed of nails, and she has the stigmata, which she probably put through her hands. Herself, and you know, even though they're, yeah, there is a Last Supper, but they're also like eating this really kind of gaudy, tacky cake. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't know if the symbology of this movie is is entirely coherent, but yeah, it, he's really throwing a lot of stuff at, at the wall, and and plus, um, the Last Supper imagery is. Low-hanging fruit, as as far as you know, religious <laughs> images are, are concerned, it's something we're all pretty familiar with. If, if Dan yeah. Brown can write a whole novel <laughs> based on the way that that painting <laughs> looks, it's just pretty recognizable. 
Yeah. And there, because I, I did a side by side on Twitter like months ago of the shot of the dinner in this one with the dinner scene and uh, Mama Roma, because it's the similar, it's, it's a similar uh, Last Supper shot of like two tables uh, facing each other on the outside and one in the center. That's in the beginning of Mama Roma. Which is a great movie that I yep. think is I think it's still on Criterion Channel. It should it's be. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Pasolini to watch to see like if you like Pasolini ideas and if you don't like that movie, don't don't go any further. <laughs> There's nothing for you. Yeah, that's about right, I'd say. <laughs> You could just skip to I don't know, uh, Sallow Arabian Nights or no, not 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 Sallow. I like Sallow, yeah. but I would never recommend it to anyone. Skip anyway, it to Sallow. He's so. a real real Sallow lover, this guy. Uh, yeah, we're not gonna get into it, but I like the movie a lot. But um, uh, uh, so one review brought up. Not review, but one essay brought up that uh, uh, Joel, we recently talked about Rainer, Ver- Rainer Werner Fassbender and this is kind of a, a Fassbender-esque type of movie. Well, in certain I don't ways. know much about him. I mean, the ones that I've seen feel f- way more dramedy. You know, like dramedy to say uh, if we insert comedy into parts of it at all uh there's just like a seriousness and a tragedy to his movies that like Mm -hmm. just leaks out of the film stock and this while like i'm sympathetic to care you know the characters in here and and whatever they're going through and but like yeah this the drama part it's there but it is like drama a la you know the soap operas like we say yeah like uh, it's it's the melodrama it's de- like definitely evoking like the melodrama era of the to an extent of like Douglas Sirk and um uh Fassbender yeah here's, like, here's it's, it's, yeah. sorry I mean I, I don't think it's exactly like a Fassbender because again this was like the first non-comedy of our mate he's trying to figure out how do I do drama and Fastbender is a good starting point of like looking at melodrama, being like, okay, I can kind of do that, because like that's a good, because I I think because like if I, cause I think the his melodramas really get across like, well, this is kind of structurally how it works, and he kind of gets it from Douglas Sirk and other people. I don't know. I don't know. I just talk uh, on my ass. I want to talk about a, a, an example of the dramatic one of the dramatic parts. So. Mm-hmm. The uh, there's a woman who's a marquee and she has millions of dollars, but uh, she's decided not to give it to the church. And the ongoing story is the only reason the church was getting money from her late husband was because their daughter became a nun. But their daughter went to serve in Africa and was eaten by cannibals. Okay, so that's that's one thing. Next. Uh, She's doesn't have. It seems she doesn't have any communication about what her daughter or anything. So when Mother Superior gets one, a letter 
and it comes with a photo of Tarzan and an ape and uh, just a big old medallion type thing with you know it's a something with a person's picture in it and mother superior uses that to blackmail that's that's drama you can kind of feel like that mm-hmm. it comes off as funny but like you could make a serious thing out of that but when the marquee finally gets her hand on this letter she's so happy just to read it and it turns out that tarzan in that picture is actually her late daughter's son who after she w- her late daughter was eaten by cannibals, the son was left and raised by apes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, she has a grandson. It's beautiful. Yeah. He's, he, I, yeah he, he can't get that zany comedy out of the system yeah. quite yet. Yeah, what, what, what a way to achieve emotional catharsis for a previously hated character. <laughs> It's a hundred percent like a straight out of like soap opera storyline. Yeah. Oh my god, she was eaten by cannibals. You mean she was uh, fired from the show? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is revealed in this uh, letter uh, that's just hid- hidden in my desk. Uh, uh, John, have you seen any Rain of Runner? I have not. I'm a terrible cinephile. Yeah, uh, he has like yeah. forty movies. It, it's fine. It's. It, uh, I'd say I've seen a couple of the Godard inspired ones. I'd say skip those. Get to the melodrama era. Sounds good to me. It's, yeah, watch Fox and his friends. That was a pretty good. I mean, that's a, that's a very good movie, and that yeah. feels like the, I'm going to be seeing a lot of that kind of uh, tragedy going on. Yeah, actually, I can send you uh, uh, a fast movie because this. There's one he made a spaghetti western about race and black people stuff, and it's according to the person who uh, sent it to me. It's the one. It's like the one kind of huge misfire he ever made. But it's a western that he made. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'd be curious. Maybe that's not the best thing for my first vestbender, but. Oh yeah. yeah maybe I'll, I'll I'll see the marriage of Maria Braun or something first. Yeah. Uh, oh, Joel, did yeah. you get did you get the file yet? I sent you that movie. Yeah, I just downloaded it actually. Okay, good. I can't wait to watch it. I can't imagine what a Fassbender spaghetti western is going to be like about uh, black issues of all things. Oh, I'm just I have zero expectations. I'll just let it happen. <laughs> yeah, Adriana said it's clunky and. She, uh, in, in the email she said like when I was talking about Coonskin and how much I love Coonskin she's like oh yeah Fassbender kind of did a, a a weird movie about race and black people and it doesn't work but it's still interesting I'd like to see it yeah uh where is it okay so one uh one, one little joke that I didn't pick up on till this time was the, the rich marquee she gives um a gift to sister dam the one who has a pet tiger and this this woman is a millionaire and the gift is yeah laundry <laughs> detergent it did make me laugh yeah <laughs> and she's like oh it it, it it cleans um and says open here <laughs> try that's so funny i didn't i didn't understand what was going on Oh yeah, uh, I I don't I don't know about you, uh, Joel, but 
part of this reminded me of the women in the sense that it's uh like there are virtually no men no men in the movie and like it's still like, it's not as funny or as fast as the women but there definitely is like has similar energy like it's literally the only people that matter are are the women and there's here here you see i think two men that talk more than once and that's about it yeah yeah i i totally get what you're saying it's i mean uh i don't know you had help picking out i think some of the pairings for this movie and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but so far you have picked just like a series like it feels I'm excited. That's that's all I'll say because these movies, like we, I could basically look back to any of the, you know, the extra non Aladovar movies we've watched so far, and I could be like, "There's the line. There's the line. There's the line." Yeah. And you know, would yeah. uh, John have you seen the women? Um, no, no. The, have you seen uh, a woman? I, I have Cooper not seen movie? the women. No. God. What am I doing on a movie podcast? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not your job to see every movie, just the movies we told um, you to see. But, you know, what you said about, you know, male characters, you know, the frequently they're either signifiers of danger or, you know, things you're running away from. So you, the movie starts because Yolanda is running away from these this pair of men who are gangsters. And then later in the movie, these two guys who are cops or pretending to be cops, you know, knock on the convent door looking for uh, the woman Mercedes who's taking shelter in in the convent. So yeah, men are explicit, except for the priest, men are explicitly outsiders or not to be trusted. All right, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. This uh, 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 Banderas is not in this, but after this point, Banderas, if he's in a movie, a Marvel movie, it means he's playing someone dangerous or he's playing someone kind of pathetic, like in Women on the Verge. Yeah. Where, like, Women on the Verge, like, I thought we watched it, but I, I'm middling on it, but I just love Banderas in that so much. Yeah, he's uh, he's also great in Tommy Up, Tommy Down, but that that's a movie that I I don't really know what to do with. I think that's part yeah. of the point. I mean, that's yeah, that's an amazing movie, but it's also a, for me, it's a disturbing yeah. movie. So. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I can't wait to get to that because I really have no clue how Bo and Megan will react to that movie. It'll yeah. be a discussion. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I personally love Time Me Up, Time Me Down, but I've come across reviews looking 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 stuff up about it where people hate it. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I get it. <laughs> Same with... Oh, there's another one that I don't want to say in name of. That's kind of divisive that we're going to get to at some point. But, uh... Uh, anything else I want to get into? Douglas, sir, commission that Fassbender. Um, no, I don't think I have. Oh, well, I guess the only other thing is Sister Sewer, uh, Sister Sewer Rat is True Slim Prieve, and she is my favorite Amotivar actress. And uh, basically, she's always playing this kind of role, which is like the there's at one point where someone says like well you're too old i think her sister says that she's like 
I'm 47. Yeah, Yeah, she said, you're 48, you're getting too old. I'm "I'm 47. (laughs) But she was playing like like the older woman who's like either the grandma or the mom. She's in Matador. She's the mom who of the of Eva and she's in the, the scene where she's getting questioned by the cops mm-hmm. and she's like tell the police you were raped T- tell tell the police he got a semen on you <laughs> and mm-hmm. the daughter doesn't want, to, doesn't want to say it I know I'm describing a fucked up scene but in the movie the context of Matador it's, it's supposed to be funny yes, she right. is really great at, at playing like, like bottom of the pecking order like even amongst these nuns whose whole like way of being is to like degradate themselves she's sort of the one that they all look down on all the while she has this like publishing empire that she doesn't know about of like a, a string of best-selling novels yeah so besides that yeah i'm i'm set like i i i love this movie i i recognize the flaws i love the deep color details you get I feel like this is uh, the first one. You get a lot of the on the on all of our red. You get like a lot of uh, like it, it's more sim- simplistic in this one. Like in the in the Marquis house, she's wearing gold, and everything in the room where they are is gold, which is like a subtle uh, symbol of like she's loaded. And they don't really have to like this. Another layer of like she's super rich because everything in her house is the color gold. Yeah, in Virginia's room, it was gold. I I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and the dress was Virginia's dress, I think, because it was a gold dress mm. in the performance. Yeah, so I guess the only other thing that that I um, that I have is you know the, the look of Almodovar's films, which we we talked about. You know, he he's worked with a couple cinematographers over and over again, and so this one was Angel Luis Fernandez, who's also done uh, Law of Desire, Matador. Um, what have I done to deserve this and Labyrinth of Passion and so so it's not like Amorivar has used the same cinematographer over and over again but he has used, he does have some key collaborators um, so so I just wanted to, to recognize his contributions to how his films are so gorgeous and um, he worked with the composer uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto oh, uh, wow. on High Heels Mr. And- Peace Huh? He's he died. Yeah. Yeah, he just died um, yeah. a couple days ago. He did the score for Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which mm-hmm. is probably like one of my favorite movie scores of all time. That like mm-hmm. I, if I hear the main score to a movie, there's a good chance I'm going to cry. All right, let and, me turn it on real quick. No, don't. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to also recognize that. Uh, that uh, Sakamoto just died, and he plays the uh, sergeant guy, he, like the, the I guess the antagonist of Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Mm-hmm. If there's an antagonist in that movie, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's it, it's a very wonderful movie. And Sakamoto, besides doing score, is a really good actor in it as well. It, yeah, it's been on my watch list for a long time, but yeah, I have not seen it, unfortunately. No, if you love David Bowie, it has the funniest David Bowie yeah, joke in any I've, movie uh, of all yeah. time. Do you know what joke I'm talking about? No, no, because I, I haven't seen it. Um, but I... Oh. Uh, and go, it, he, go ahead. Oh. Oh. 
uh, in it and at one point there's a flashback where he's like thinking about his brother who i think his brother something i could forgot what happened but he said his brother was a singer in the movie and he says i wish i could sing yeah. <laughs> which is which is like so it's a very like self-aware joke that i i just love that part so much yes all right so uh you guys can say your recommendations oh is this movie streaming in places there's a european dvd that i have and it's um yeah, it's a you can stream this i have to use the bathroom real quick so you guys can go through your 1983 recommendations and i'll i'll be right back okay. all right so we always make okay. the guests okay. go first because uh that's that's the torture we like to put on you know the pressure that is anyways what do you have for 1983 um, yeah so i have a couple interesting horror movies from 1983 uh the boxer's omen a late period shaw brothers film directed by Kuei chi hung uh it's an absolutely out there like legitimately bonkers horror movie um, pretty famous if you have any familiar with, with Hong Kong cinema, but um, really worth uh, checking out. It's it's a uh, mm. it's nuts. And then the other is um, Michael Mann's The Keep uh, for a guy who directed a ton of types of movies. You know, he was he, he certainly had some thematic consistency and some filmmaking techniques that run throughout his filmography. Um, but even so, even with all the genres, you know, from from Thief to The Last Mohicans, e- even with all that, The Keep uh, really uh, st- stands out as, as a unique, uh, flawed beast because um, it's the version that he intended has never been released, but if you can find it worth checking out... Um, it's about, you know, a, a Jewish golem getting revenge on Nazis. And it has Scott Glenn, Jurgen uh, Prochnow, uh, Gabriel Byrne, and Ian McKellen. Uh, a real wild one. So if you can find it, uh, Michael Mann's The Keep. Check it out. That's it. So so for The Keep, you're saying that there there's like a director's cut, essentially, that they're just Correct. never going to release? Which drives me off the wall with frustration because I'd love to know what Michael Mann like really intended for that movie, um, but what we have is, yeah. is still really interesting. Well, I think there's at least hope if that film is still exists somewhere that someday somebody is going to release yeah. it. On the other hand, for me, uh, with my love for event horizon it has just been confirmed over and over again that there is not the footage that was cut out is is not recoverable does not exist so anyways <laughs> no, I, I, I know what you mean yeah they, they keep saying they're gonna release a the cut you've never seen um but it hasn't happened yet it's just not yeah, a thing i don't think we're gonna have to make my own uh, oh yeah, I'll make my own version and like edit the film so that those cutscenes are in there with me, but doing the part that we uh, imagined the incredibly violent parts. Man, let's yeah. watch Event Horizon. No, 
1983, we covered before because uh, of the amazing movie Breathless. I had to wait till the title came up. Richard Gere version, which gets the shit good on. good version. And we liked it a lot. So the Blu-ray go... just came out. Oh, it did? Uh, yeah. Um, oh. um, not Vinegar Syndrome. One of their label buddies. Oh, hell yeah. I gotta get that. Anyways, that 1983 movie for me that I'm gonna talk about. And once again, I have no idea if I talked about it before. Because... We've been doing this podcast for quite some time, and I'm not going to go back and listen to this stuff. Uh, Space Hunter, Adventure in the Forbidden Zone, directed by Lamont Johnson. It's a one of those 3D movies that came out in the 80s that was just, like, not up to par with what people expected from 3D. It was just kind of, like, quickly put together. Who knows? Is that but, the one you guys talked about on your old show with Molly Ringwald? That is correct. Yes, we had Molly okay. Bergwald on the show. It was amazing. <laughs> um, no, we did not. But we did talk about it, yes. Molly Ringwald playing a part completely different than what I have seen her in. That's always just the... Uh, what's his name? John Hughes. John Hughes stuff. So, in this one, she's kind of like a, a scamp who falls... She, she gets... How do I describe? Let's skip Molly Ringwald for now. Peter Strauss plays a guy who's this titular space hunter. He's kind of like a bounty hunter, and he's got the name Wolf, so you know he's cool. And at some point on a mission on a gross planet, all rusty and muddy and awesome looking, he runs into this scamp I was talking about, Molly Ringwald, who is a, she's a tough kid and she thinks she could take care of herself. And by, I don't think she's supposed to be playing a kid, but she's still got that same young look where she was, you know, pretending to be a high schooler or, or whatever. And compared to Peter Strauss, the, the age gap feels obvious. So there's a little bit of romantic things going on and i don't remember like actual kissing or anything like that but there was something that was like molly ringwald did this that was weird and kind of creepy but okay keep selling the movie joel main villain is played by michael ironside which if you know michael ironside you know that's something you probably should be watching right now what's wrong with you and ernie hudson is also in it sam fisher Hmm? what sam fisher was he Fisher? Splinter Cell. Oh, yeah, that's him. Yeah. Yeah, until the last couple games when he got replaced. Yeah. Is it Top Gun? Starship Troopers? Total Recall? Turbo Kid? He's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's Iron Eagle? Uh, I don't know. Not familiar. Uh, they're fine, I guess. <laughs> There's like five of them. <laughs> and I, like I said, I mentioned Ernie Hudson. I want to emphasize Ernie Hudson, the, the man who doesn't get enough love, even though many people take the time to, to mention like Ghostbusters and how they didn't really plot him correctly because they didn't care. Yeah. But, but he, you know, he, he got, well, I think he's made, made, made it up with a, very solid yeah. career. 
I mean, yes, he's he's an icon. Like he was in The Crow, he was in the season he, three of Twin Peaks, Congo. Um, he was miscongeniality. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was on Oz with a uh, friend of the show, Tumay Gant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yep, Tumay yep. was on the last two seasons of Oz, I think. Not crazy. I've never seen. I hope he doesn't listen. I've never seen Oz. I just know he's he's on the show. Mm. Well, I think he'll be okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Anyways. And, and Tumay was in a Scorsese movie, too. Uh, the Nick, Nick Cage one. Bring that the dead. Tiny part. Nice. Yeah, bring it dead. I think it's that's the one he's in. That is... Anyway. Oh. Anyway, Space Hunter. Space, uh, somebody's playing Breath of the Wild, I get here. Uh, Space Hunter oh. Adventures mm-hmm. in the Forbidden Zone is crapped on by a lot of people, but as for a B-movie, it's, yeah, like, it is. super fun. If you're fun. somebody who likes a movie like Crawl, for sure check out Space Hunter. And I am somebody who likes Crawl, so... Oh, God, Crawl. Don't you love Crawl, too? I have a love-hate relationship, which is, like, <laughs> I love all the ideas, I love the characterizations, and I, like... I hate the movie. <laughs> it's like, I, but every once in a while, I'm just like, I get a crawl mood and I put on crawl. And afterwards, I'm like, why the fuck did I do it's, that again? It's a fucking mess, but there's I mean, also a lot of things to like. <laughs> the giant spider and the, you know, uh, the castle itself. Yeah. Wow. There's lots of cool stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, he, uh, uh, I missed John's stuff, so hopefully there's an overlap. It will. Uh, uh, first off, El Pico. It's a movie I mentioned earlier in the episode. It's the heroine uh, teen drama. Uh, uh, also set in Spain. I think set in Madrid and I forgot the other city. It's set in the Basque region of Spain, which is like, uh, it's very different to other regions of Spain. I don't know much about Spanish history and all that stuff. I know the Basque region is yeah, is different there for some reason. Anyway, El Pico. It's a great movie. Oh, it's also gonna kind of fuck up your day because there's this it's about teens doing heroin and also about best friends who have threesomes together and take showers together. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what See, that's yeah, what veterans cool. do. Best cool friends take sh- deals. <laughs> that's what that's what Gen Z does. They have threesomes and they take showers together. That's what best friends do nowadays. Yeah, that's what they did in the nineties too. In that uh, movie, that's not about Kurt Cobain, but it is Kurt Cobain starring Michael Pitt. Oh yeah, that movie exists. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, and also El Pico is full of full frontal nearly male and female. So, equal opportunity. Uh, 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 I'll have to bring up if there's penis in the movie because there's not enough. There's not enough boobs in movies. People need to know when there's when penis. Other movie, um, Born in Flames, a Lizzie Borden feminist movie. I watched it like six or seven years ago. I still have the DVD. I, it left a big impression on me. I don't fully remember everything. Besides, I really liked it, and it's, it really stuck with me. And, uh... Why can't I think of names right now? Who was the woman that directed 
um, Point Break. Catherine Bigelow. Uh, Kath- yeah. She uh, is in Born Flames in a small part. And I think she worked in the production side too. It was just like revolutionary feminist movie. Uh, yeah, just just watch it. That's all I really have to say about that. Um. Uh, okay, I, I have one that I know is bad, and stupid, but I generally like it. Is Ten to Midnight, um, the Bronson movie? Mm-hmm. It's an it's 80s Bronson. If you if you don't know what you're into, watch Death Wish too. And if you don't like that, don't watch any more 80s Bronson. It's just that over and over again. It's good jerking off, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's Ten to Midnight, and. uh it's a massive movie. It doesn't work. It's uh vague. it's it's racist towards Mexicans specifically. Um a Bronson movie that's wow, racist. Amazing. Crazy. <laughs> but if you want to laugh at like stupid Bronson movies, uh this is a one this is the one for you. It's it's good enough and there's enough stupid like pro fascist cop stuff where it's like this is just a laughable joke <laughs> and I love Bronson not giving a shit it, it's still entertaining to me it's it's so weird that like he worked so much with Jay Lee Thompson towards the end of his career who's who directed like you know the original Cape Fear <laughs> and the Guns of Navarone yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah not everyone can have a end a yeah. career like Sterling Hayden in his career was yeah. actually really good. His personal life Crawford. ended yeah. the way J. Lee Thompson's yeah. career did. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, Sean Crawford's in the last decade or so of her career is kind of depressing yeah. and not worth watching, in my opinion. But anyway, so there's that. And... I haven't seen this. It's been on my list to watch for a long time, but the Charles Burnett feature, My Brother's Wedding, <clears throat> came out in 83. And it's. I've seen a couple of Charles Burnett movies, and this is one that I haven't sat down to watch, but hopefully this will be a year. But uh, if you have not seen To Sleep with Anger or Killer of Sheep, uh, you gotta watch those. Those are great movies from Charles Burnett is a underappreciated director even though he got like a honorary academy award or something a couple of years ago but that's not enough like people need to watch his movies because uh he's a underappreciated uh voice and he should have gotten a chance to make more movies I and, hmm? i mean i've seen to What's it, what's it called to something with anger? To sleep with anger, and that movie was it was a life changing. But it's like if I think of it in a like a graph sense, let's just say the graph spikes into the uh, oh my god, this is a masterpiece area. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see, um, fuck, what's his name? Lethal D- Weapon, D- Danny Glover, Danny Glover. There we go. I'll say Danny Houston's like, no, Danny Houston is something else. And you see like Danny Glover get to actually star in something that's great that is not Predator yeah. 2, which is great. But it's, but uh, if you want to see like, 
a dang lever actually, you know, get to do like a like a movie movie, like a real movie. Watch to sleep with anger and you'll be like why does he not have a bigger career as a star? Yeah, it's always great when you see um like somebody who's usually a character actor get a chance to take the lead in a movie. Um, just on that topic, um, for another podcast, I watched this movie called The Mask of Demetrios, which is who Peter. It's an English language. It's an American movie with Peter Lorre in the lead, uh, and so that that was a real treat. So yeah, anytime somebody with a talent of Danny Glover or Peter Lorre is in the lead of a movie, it's worth checking out for sure. Yeah, and uh, I haven't brought this up in a while, but Danny Glover is a producer on yeah. like smaller movies like he's producer on Timbuktu the uh movie from more I think it's Mauritania and he's a piece produced some like other like African films and uh like his career as a producer and getting stuff made is really impressive and shows like oh this guy actually cares about movies and making sure uh you know other people's voices can get you know get a chance to be heard. Just speaking of his career in Lethal Weapon, the more you find out about Danny Glover and his his career and his personal life is the polar opposite of what happens. The more you find out about Mel Gibson's <laughs> personal life. In, uh, yeah, yeah. Danny Glover should have been sexist yeah. man alive. In, in, in inverse Mel proportion, inverse relationship between the two. <laughs> Yeah, and one of them is a fucking billionaire. Although, and the, other, the other one isn't. Uh, I wonder. I wonder why. Yeah, although, although um, Nick Nolte deserved Sexiest Man Alive. Yes, in 1992. <laughs> I love that coverage. So, why was he picked? <laughs> He's got rugged masculinity, I guess. In 1992, <laughs> had, had to do with the movies he was in. Like, I know, uh, but it's so silly. Usually, they pick uh, like a younger, like young, younger and hotter career-wise. Yeah. Not <laughs> Nick Nolte. Wait, okay, wait a bit. Who do you think was reading People magazine? Middle-aged women, probably. Yeah, he's he's really got estranged, uh, estranged uncle energy. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So that's it. Nineteen for. Uh, okay. What else? Uh, coming up for me. Uh, nothing besides I write for Grumpire, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I have some stuff for Grumpire. It's I'm trying to finish up and starting, and, yeah, look out for Grumpire and. I think the last podcast I guessed it on was Cult Movies Podcast, talking about The Harder They Come, the oh, awesome. reggae movie, which is still on Tubi, I think. But uh, that movie rules. It's uh, it's pretty rad. And uh, yeah, that's it. For myself, oh, and the... Uh, uh, oh, never mind. Uh, J-Dog, John, you, whoever wants to go. Oh, I, got, I don't have anything. You can listen to me on this podcast, which has uh, essentially three other seasons, I guess we could say, covering at first uh, in Kurosawa when we were calling it uh, High and Low. 
And the second was us covering Spike Lee. It was called We Cut Heads, which was a movie we didn't actually cover. It's on... And I'm still upset about it. It's recently on um, um, Archive. I'll never <laughs> forgive you. As of now... Spike tries to bury that movie for some reason. Yeah. Anyways, the, the third season, which we had just finished up, was... Uh, wait, hold on. What's it called? Shoot the... Uh, I don't even remember what it's called, so it's funny that you keep mixing it up. <laughs> Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast, So, which was... Uh, most of the movies were covered around that time period, which was considered the French New Wave, and then branching out to some stuff that was Italian. Or things like, like loosely that. connect to French slash Italian. Yeah. We. Oui. I was on a couple. It was It was great. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Um, hi, I'm John Arminio. Um, I was. I'm on. Uh, I'm at. Jesus Christ. Uh, Quasar Sniffer on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I am collaborating with Scott Thorough from Zebras in America on the podcast Popcorn Eschaton, where we discuss spiritual and or leftist movies, sort of like Dark Habits. Um, that is on the Zebras in America feed. Mm. Uh, the last one. Um, that was out was on uh, Win Stanley and Bisbee Seventeen, two movies about uh, unions f- uh, throughout through history. It was really mm. cool, and we're going to be doing a um, next up. Rec- the next one that's going to be released is on the Thirteenth Warrior, and that's with my brother. Um, that that's cool. That's it is. Yes. We we talk about why he's played in Iraqi, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> is it as weird as Sean Connery playing an Egyptian? Um, yes, but not not as uncomfortable as Lawrence Olivier playing a Sudanese man in Khartoum. Um, that's not uh, great. Um, also, in in sometime this spring, I'm going to be doing a episode on the Wicker Man for Film Eighty Nine, and so that'll be awesome too. So stay tuned for that. If you want to. Or you can be like, this guy sucks. Not listen to any podcast he's on ever again. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're you're part of the Coveted Club. That was in uh, that was on, an, on, Af- on a movie on an African film. Oh, yeah, film. That, was, that was great. That was a great I, episode I pre- with uh, Martin Kessler. Yeah, because Kessler is kind of a... He's like the guy, if I'm an African movie, most of the time he yeah. says, oh, I've seen that. So it's like, oh, thank God, someone else. <laughs> but that that's part of the thing that I love about podcasts. And I can go to a movie that I've seen, you know, five or six times like The Wicker Man and talk about it. Or I could discover Semben because of this podcast. But it's fucking cool. Yeah. All right. So, um... Coming up from here, we have episode on Arsenic and Old Lace, which I think is a comedy. I don't really know. It just has um, uh, Cary Grant in it, and uh, I think he tries to kill someone. I still haven't looked up the plot or anything. I'm just—I'd rather go into that movie blind, with guest Jake Lindbergh and a band Rat Bath. Well, two members of the band Rat Bath. Oh, cool. As of now, unless something happens. Uh, uh, a queer country folk, queer country punk band, as I would describe them, and uh, the great music. They have a band camp out there, 
and a movie an episode on El Sur, uh, the Spanish movie from 1983 with John Cribbs. Uh, I I still don't know anything about that movie. Cribbs picked it out, so uh, I trust his opinion and his taste. So I might hate it. I might not. We're we're, we're gonna see in a couple of days actually, <laughs> and uh, have a bunch of stuff planned. And I have, I have nothing else. Uh, that's will be coming up because I'm gonna take a little break because finals will be coming up in a few weeks. But May and June are getting are are filling up as of now. But I don't want to say. Besides, we're getting to our first of two Richard Gear episodes because I know everyone's been ca- clamoring. When are you guys gonna get to Richard Gear yet? It's been because by the time you hear it's gonna be like nine episodes in, and you're gonna be like, where's Richard Gear? Another Th- people's sexiest saying. man alive who got there and in his forties. Oh yeah, making connections. <laughs> uh, obviously. Yeah, uh, Joel. I know you're excited to get to Richard Gear finally. I'm always excited about a little gear in my life. Yeah. Can't you hear it in my voice? Yay! Yeah, yeah. You don't understand how much I I love doing Richard Gear episodes now. It it just I, become like it, it's it's our thing. We have to we have to talk Richard Gear at some point. <laughs> And yeah, and that, that way, that way we'll never have to do a Richard Gear season. Uh, I think I think there's enough, but yeah, we're, we're we're covering the good stuff on our seasons for the most part. Hopefully, no, we're not actually. It's no, mostly we're not. just fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so it'll be American Gigolo, which I think I'll like, but I don't know yet. Uh, and n- not the new show, the movie from the 80s and yeah so uh yeah there's stuff to look out for stuff to come out uh after this point and uh watch a more of our movies oh i forgot to say this at the beginning of the episode trans rights or human rights i'll pay, cut and paste that to the first to the first part of the episode yes. all right uh, yeah completely. always keep forgetting to do that uh yeah so um that's it john thank you for your time You'll be on again for uh, Rio Bravo and some other Western. You, Terror in I Texas can't remember what else you picked, but. Awesome. Yeah, that's it. That movie rocks. Or maybe Rio Bravo. I'll be on for. Uh, Depends what both? you want. To... I don't know. <laughs> or or w- w- whatever you oh, want. I'll, okay. I'll, do, I'll do either. Okay. And. Uh, Jade Dog, I'll talk to you in a few days. We're talking about El Sir. Uh, okay. And yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah, see you guys next time. theme music is by james fell our logo is by andrew bargeron you can find him as jimetsko on threadless t public redbubble shirt woot catalog and t theory that is spelled g-i-m-e-t-z-c-o 
You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.